Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated, evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Today, I have a really fun treat for you guys. So today, I'm going to share a section from one of my most requested professional development workshops. This workshop is called Can't Do or Won't Do, Solving Classroom Challenges Through Executive Functioning, Skill Building, and Positive Reinforcement. Kind of a mouthful, right? So I want to share this with you because it's one of my favorite workshops, and I'm sharing my favorite section. I'm sharing where I kind of introduce the idea of can't do or won't do. I think this is such a valuable concept to learn. And then following beyond that, when you have those can't do situations, really exploring what are the missing executive functions and when it's won't do, looking into positive reinforcement options. So I'm going to share an excerpt from my uh, from a live virtual professional development workshop that I did a few months ago. I have spent the last nine months doing so many virtual workshops. And I mean, there's pros and cons to that. Pros during the summer, all my audiences got to be in their jammies with a cup of coffee at home. I got to be in my basement. It made the scheduling a lot easier. I got to do back-to-back days and I didn't have to run between airports and all that. But of course, I miss being in person with you all. I am starting to book virtual sessions for 2022. If this is something you think your school district might be interested in, have them reach out to me. I'm currently booking dates right now. Again, virtual gives me a lot more flexibility. If you want to hear the rest of this session, this is an awesome one for really 
all ages and all grades. I also have a bunch of other sessions in my library and I'm looking working on new ones as we speak. But for now, let's jump into can't do or won't do. So today we are talking about can't do or won't do this morning. Um, and in this session, we're going to squeeze in two of my favorite topics that have such an impact really no matter what your role is or what grades you teach. And you're like, Sasha, how can that possibly be? How can something apply for special ed preschool through gen ed high school? Well, these things do. The two components that we'll be talking about today are positive reinforcement, which affects all behavior, all human behavior, and executive functioning skill building. And as we get into executive functions, which may be something new to you, I think a lot of you are going to identify executive functions that you struggle with. Whenever I talk about executive functions, I always think about which ones I struggle with the most. No one ever has a perfect amount of executive functions. You've never mastered executive functioning skill building. This is always something we are progressing at and going to continue to possibly have new challenges with throughout our lives. So it's no surprise that our students will have some struggles with this as well. So our goal, no matter what role you are in, whether you are gen ed, special ed, a paraprofessional, clinician, parent, Big picture, this is your goal. Your goal is that your students are learning. Your goal is that your students are independent. Now, what that looks like from preschool to high school, obviously, is very different, but we're always looking towards some level of independence. Your goal is that your students are engaged. They are an active participant in their learning. They want to be here. They're on task. They're doing what they're supposed to doing, right? Big picture, if we had our students learning, independent, and engaged, guess what? We all wouldn't be here, right? We'd all be like, I got this. It's easy. No problem. Now, there's some big roadblocks to that, right? First is the variety of skill levels, especially for my life skills teachers, my resource teachers that are on the call, especially for my gen ed teachers that have students at really different grade levels. You may be assigned third grade, but Johnny's reading at the first grade level, right? When you're in a life skills classroom, you may teach fifth through eighth, but you really feel like you teach pre-K through eighth. When you have that many skill levels in one class, it just becomes so overwhelming to keep track of the stuff to be efficient and organized, to go from teaching colors one minute to pronouns the next. You need to be really smart with how you set up your classroom. You need to be really smart with how you utilize your resources. And that is super overwhelming. You really may feel like you have two jobs. You are a teacher and you are a curriculum developer, but you only get one salary, sorry. And then we have disruptive behaviors. I mean, I don't even need to go into any explanation on that, like period, end of story. You are not getting into your academic lesson if Johnny's punching someone on the other side of the room, right? That becomes the most important thing at all times. And then we have class sizes that are too big and staff sizes that are too small, right? Large class sizes, the class sizes keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Kids that are maybe not supposed to be in that classroom, maybe they have a diagnosis that doesn't fit the, the needs of that classroom. Maybe they should be somewhere else, but guess what? They're going to be there tomorrow. And how are we going to meet the needs of him and this child as much as we can tomorrow? And then we don't have as much staff. Maybe on paper, you're supposed to have two paraprofessionals, but the school can only hire one and you just have one. Or my favorite, this is like the most public school thing ever. You have 1.5 paraprofessionals. What's a 0.5 of an adult? We're coming here to talk about your students' behavior and how to provide reinforcement for students' behavior. But you have really been tricked because we're here to talk about your behavior. We're really at like a giant self-help group because the only behavior 
you have complete control of is your own. Only that. You only have control of your own behavior. So when you are trying to shape your student or child's behavior, you really need to start with your behavior. That's where it starts. Now, at first, that might feel a little intimidating. You're like, what? It's on me? But then it's also empowering. You control how you respond. You control how you react. You control how you give feedback, how you correct errors, how you set expectations, how you give directions, how you set up the learning environment. You are in control of all of that. And when you make changes in some of those things, you will in turn cause positive behavior change with some of your learners. So it starts with you. And that's a big mindset shift. Because guess what? It's easier to blame the kid. It's easier to be, well, Johnny's naughty. Johnny's lazy. Johnny doesn't want to work. I'm the perfect teacher. It's nothing on me. But it starts with us. So I want you, and thank you for everyone for dropping in the chat how many pairs you have. I see a bunch of one or two on a good day, one. Isn't that the worst, right? A lot of you are mad. You're like, none, zero. Okay, so I want you to listen to the rest of today's session, this morning and this afternoon, with two lenses. And this is going to go for everyone, whether you have paraprofessionals or not. The one lens is I want you to listen with how can I take these strategies to my caseload, to my students, to my kids. The other lens that I want you to listen to everything with is how can I bring these ideas to my team, your paraprofessionals, the IEP team, your grade level team, the specials teachers. We all work on teams when we work in a school. You do not work in isolation. Whether you are a special ed, gen ed clinician, you work with other adults. Sometimes that's the hardest part of the job. I mean, then in, in the chat. Who is that the hardest part of? Who, who is that for them? That's the hardest part of their job. Like if you just locked me in a room with my students, I'd be fine. But it's the kids. It's the other adults that are the problem, right? Working with other adults is hard. And when it comes to the concepts we'll especially be talking about this morning, some of it requires a mindset shift. And when we advocate for our students, and that's part of our role and responsibility as an educator, is to advocate for our students, some of the, that advocacy will look like staff training. Some of that advocacy will look like changing mindsets of those around us. Because not only do we have to know the best practices and live and breathe those best practices, we need to help those around us and the other adults that work with our students do the same thing. So that's a big undertaking. And that's why I really want you to listen to things with two lenses today. Like, hey, how, how are we bringing these concepts to our kids? And how are we bringing these concepts to our team? And I have no magic wands for you this morning. I have no quick fixes. It's not a quick fix situation. If problem behaviors and challenging behaviors were easy to change, they would be changed already. It wouldn't be a problem. We wouldn't be spending three hours today talking about can't do, won't do. I love this quote because this quote to me really represents the mindset shift that we often need to have. If a child doesn't know how to read, we teach. If a child doesn't know how to swim, we teach. If a child doesn't know how to multiply, we teach. And if a child doesn't know how to behave, we punish. We need to approach teaching positive, pro-social, communicative skills with the same rigor, with the same thoroughness, with the same attention to detail that we approach teaching academics. It is to me, arguably more important. 
we can't get to the academics if we don't have that strong foundation of emotional control, of sustained attention, of task initiation, of time management. We can't get to that next level. So we want to spend the same amount of effort on these types of skills that we do our academics. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. So here's our agenda for today. We have kind of an ambitious plan. We are going to talk about our can't do versus won't do, and then we're going to break it into two halves. We're going to talk a lot about executive functioning skill building, and this is how we're going to approach our can't do problems. And then at the end of the morning, we're going to wrap up with positive reinforcement, and this will be how we approach our won't do problems. So this is the overall framework of how I want you all to approach challenging behaviors moving forward. You want to get to the root of the issue. Is it a can't do or is it a won't do? Is your student acting out because he can't do the work or because he won't do the work? If it's a can't do, it means the work or the demand is too hard and we need to adjust the task or teach new skills. So we don't have those skills yet to accomplish that task. The won't do is the student is not motivated. They don't want to do it. So we need to adjust the reinforcer. All of the decisions we make, our students and you and I, is shaped by two things, our skills or ability to perform the action and our motivation to act or not act on options. Meaning you need both. You need the skills and you need the motivation. If one or both are missing, you're not doing it. So let's go through an example. So I'm gonna go through an example for me. I am not a runner. Like if you are a runner, that's awesome. I'm actually a little bit jealous. I wish I was one of those people that like love to run. Like after a really hard day, you just went for a run to unwind. No, I watch TV, that's what I do. 
I'm not a runner, so I don't have the motivation to run, right? So if someone asks me to run a mile, I can do this activity. I have the skill set, but I don't want to. I'm like, no, it's been a long day. I'm exhausted. I want to watch Real Housewives. Leave me alone, right? So I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to act upon that option to run. I have the skills. I don't have the motivation. No, thank you. Now, someone asks me to run a mile and they will give me $500. Okay. Now, suddenly I have the skills and I have the motivation. I'm dusting off my running shoes that actually I don't have. And I'm going to go outside and I'm going to run that mile. I have the skills and I have the motivation. Now, what if someone asks me to run a mile in five minutes? I cannot do this activity. I do not have the skill set. It doesn't matter how much reinforcement or motivation you offered me. I still can't do it. You're like, I'll give you 500 bucks. You're like, I still can't. You're like, I'll give you $5,000. I'm like, I still can't. You're like, $5 million. I, I still can't run the mile in five minutes. I can't. Sometimes we approach our students' challenging behaviors with this mentality. We are asking them to do something they just can't do. They do not have the work endurance yet. They do not have the sustained attention yet. They do not have the organization skills yet. And we're like, keep up in the ante or we keep adding in a punishment procedure. If you don't do this again tomorrow, you're going to lose recess. They're like, you can punish me as much as you want. I don't have the skills to do this. So we want to be really, uh, in, you know, inquisitive and what in the approaching challenging behaviors and identifying if things are a can't do or a won't do. So in the chat, I want you to share. Let's start with the easy one. Won't do. Something that you have the skills to do, you just don't have the motivation. What's something you have the skills but not the motivation for? A won't do. In the chat, I'll share mine. Kelly, by the way, you will have access to this information later. We're going to send you a replay. And in the chat, if you scroll down, there's a Google Drive link with the slides. Um, so in the chat, what is your won't do? What's something you have the skills you don't want to do? You want to know mine? So my alarm went off at 5 a.m. this morning. And I'm in the really bad habit of pressing snooze for one hour. What a waste. Like I should have just really slept, but I had the skills to get up and work out. I did not have the motivation. My bad. It just, it was really, it was really good this morning. Yeah. Yeah. I see other, other people are with me here on the working out, cooking gourmet meals, eating cilantro. <laughs> cilantro is that funny one, right? Some people it tastes like soap and some people it tastes delicious. Folding laundry. Yeah, laundry to me, that becomes a won't do. Broccoli, eating certain things. Yeah, won't get up without coffee. I don't know. That might fall into can't do for me. I may not be able to function without coffee. Washing dishes. Yeah, a lot of chores fall into this, right? A lot of like, oh, I diet. Like I should eat healthy, but you want to know it's delicious? Donuts. So I'm going to have a donut, right? Do my hair, kill roaches. Oh, that's a good one. I haven't heard that one recently. Yeah, I can kill the bug. I just don't want to, right? I had that situation actually right before I got on this call. I went in the bathroom and there was a huge spider and I thought about leaving it because I didn't want to kill it. And then I was like, well, that spider's going to move. And when I come back to the bathroom later, what if it's sitting on the toilet waiting for me? So I killed it. I had, the, I had the skills and I had the motivation. All right, good, guys. All right, now can't do. What is something you want to do 
but you don't have the skill set. I'll tell you mine. I have a good one this summer. So our TV on my main floor is broken, but for some reason, Netflix works. It's the only thing that works. Not our cable, not Hulu. I've been able to watch like none of the Olympics because our cable doesn't work, right? I want to fix it. I do. I don't have the skill set. There's like a receiver issue. I don't really even know where it is. I tried my, the only thing I know how to do is unplug and replug. My husband keeps saying he's going to get to it. I think he doesn't know how to either. So I, I have the skill. I don't have the skills. I want to, but I don't have the skills to, to fix it. Um, what are your guys can't do in the chat? Um, play piano, do a cartwheel. Yeah, maybe you want to do a cartwheel. Speaking of the Olympics, all those things, you're like, it'd be amazing to do that. I would kill myself if I tried. Skate, sing. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure technology... I'm sure in the last year and a half, you ran into a lot of can't do with technology. You're like, I want this to work this way, but I can't figure out how to do it. Yeah, technology things become a big can't do. Yeah, change a tire. I feel you, Rachel. I also, that is a can't do for me. I wish I could, and I probably should know how to, but I... I've been taught. I just forget. Yeah. Fix my fence. Whistle. Yeah. These are all awesome. All right. So we have these in our own lives, right? We have can't do's and won't do's in our own life. Let's go through a few scenarios and I'm going to show you some examples from my kids when they were little. And we're going to kind of identify the difference in can't do or won't do when it comes to developmental ages. And you'll be able to infer what I mean. All right. First, this was my daughter when she was a baby, my middle daughter. And actually, these all of these are taken, all these pictures are taking place on a snow day in Chicago. And Chicago is really fun because it's like 60 degrees one day and then negative 20 the next day. And I know you guys in, in the South, I'm jealous of you with your ever fluid warm weather. When it's negative 20, like the, the liquid in your eyeballs freezes. It's like, why do I live somewhere where this happens? So we have a snow day, stuck home with toddlers and babies trying to work. And it's We've got a lot of can't do's and won't do's coming on, going on. So situation one, put the baby in her playpen. I want her to play for 20 minutes by herself so I can drink my coffee and, and respond to some emails. After about six, seven minutes, she starts crying. Based on her age, what can we infer? Do we think this is a can't do or a won't do that she, for playing alone for 20 minutes? Can't do or won't do. What do we think? I would guess she's about nine months here. Maybe 10. Does she have the skill set as a less than one-year-old to play for 20 minutes by herself? What do we think? Even though mom wanted it to happen. Yeah, she didn't have the, the sustained attention, that independent play yet, right? So can't do. So this is a tricky one. Let me walk you through situation two. This is my older daughter a few years ago, and she was really struggling this day because she really wanted to paint, right? And we kept saying, like, don't worry, we're going to do painting later. But, you know, mom has to work and dad has to work. We kept saying it just verbally, right? We're like, don't worry, we have to do this and this and this, and then we're going to paint. And she was getting really upset. Like she wasn't processing all of that language. And then poor thing as a special ed teacher as a mom. So I was like, I'm going to make a visual schedule. Solution to all problems. Made a visual schedule. Suddenly she got it. She was like, oh, okay, I have this. I have this. I have this. Then I have painting. So originally 
when she became upset and wasn't able to process all of that verbal language was that it can't do or won't do. What do you think? This one's a little tricky. So at first she wasn't able to process verbal language. We added the schedule and she was. Yeah, I think it was a, a can't do, you know, giving all of that verbal language. She just didn't have the processing speed yet. So when we gave the visual schedule, she was able to, right? Awesome. So next she goes out and plays in the snow. Of course, I make her dad take her because I don't want to. It's freezing and kids like don't care about the cold. You know, they'll just play for hours. So it is freezing outside. Eyeballs are freezing that cold. And she doesn't, after two hours, she still does not want to come inside. I say come inside and she throws a fit and will not come back inside. Is that a can't do? Yeah, a won't do, right? She has the skills to come back in. She just doesn't want to. All right, and last, um, they now make toys that look like electronics. It's really hilarious. So this toy that they're playing with, and this looks cute in the picture. It wasn't, I remember, cute in the moment. Is like a fake iPad, super brilliant. So when the toddler does not want to share with the baby. Toddler doesn't want to share with the baby. Is that can't do or won't do? What do you think? Toddler will not share with the baby. What do we think? Baby wants a turn. Toddler does not give her a turn. Yeah, won't do, right? She can share. She doesn't have the motivation. Now, let's look at the reverse. When the baby doesn't share with the toddler, what do we think then? The baby doesn't share with the toddler. Is it a can't do or won't do? Yeah, when the baby doesn't share, it's a can't do, right? She doesn't have the skills yet. So we can kind of start to see developmentally when things develop and can maybe go from a can't do to a won't do. So sometimes assumptions about what's going on can be wrong. Let's go through a few classroom-based examples on how this, um, our assumptions can really lead us down the wrong path and will lead us to a strategy that's ineffective. So this is a second grade gen ed classroom. In the afternoon, they do centers and students are taking a really long time to transition between centers. They are really struggling transitioning between centers. It's taking a long time. Kids are off task. Kids are in spots they shouldn't be. It is loud. Now, the assumption that the teacher is making is that students know how to transition between centers, right? So we're assuming they have the skills, but they don't have the motivation, so the teacher's like, yep, they have the skills. They know how to transition. It's a reinforcement issue. Maybe I'll add in um, a token economy and maybe I'm going to like up the reinforcement at each center because that's the issue. But in reality, maybe the students do not have the skill set yet to transition appropriately between those centers. Maybe they don't understand exactly what behaviors are expected. Maybe they didn't have adequate opportunity to practice. Maybe the teacher really taught how to transition the first week of school in August, and it's November, and they haven't really gotten any feedback on it since then. Maybe there were times when the transitions took a long time, and there was no change in consequence. There was no reinforcement. It was just the same, right? Maybe the cues on when the transition should take place are not clear. The teacher rings a bell, but it's really quiet and half of the room doesn't even hear the bell. 
So in reality, this is a can't do. And the students need instruction and skill building to transition more quickly, not more reinforcement. Now, another scenario. Here is a third grader, and she is really struggling with her math work. She's kind of breaking down. She's putting her head down, shutting down, not talking. And then we're, the teacher assumes, oh, the student cannot do the math work because it's too hard. So we're going to give her easier work. This is a skill set issue. <coughs> Now, if you think something's can't do, like in some, especially something like math, and you give easier work, most kids are not going to be like, oh, no, no, this is too easy. I'll take I'll take the harder work, please. Right. I mean, and that's human nature. I used to a long time ago work out with a trainer and, you know, she'd give me weights to do and she'd be like, are those too light? Do you want heavier ones? Like I never, ever said yes to that. I was like, nope, these are fine. These are really challenging, really challenging. Like, I mean, I probably should have, but I'm not trying to do more work, right? So if the assumption is, oh, the student cannot do the math work because it is too hard and we're just going to go give easier work, that's not going to really solve the problem. Maybe in reality, what was happening is the student had not been receiving reinforcement for completing the math work. Maybe they did it in the past and didn't get any reinforcement at all. So what's the point of doing it? And there are other behaviors that are available that are more reinforcing. Maybe it is more fun to put your head down on the ground and brainstorm and think about and daydream what you're going to do at recess. Maybe it's more fun to doodle on the desk. It's more reinforcing to talk to peers. So just by changing the work isn't going to solve the problem. So inferences, assumptions that are based solely on observation and that's very casual can be um, inaccurate, right? We don't want to make those quick assumptions. Oh, he's just lazy. He just doesn't care. We want to analyze the issue and determine the root cause. You also want to change your perceptions, especially if you are in special ed and you teach students for several years, once you've had a student for two or three years, we start having these automatic assumptions like, oh, that's Johnny. Johnny just always waits till he gets help, right? And we just have these preconceived notions about students that we sometimes just can't help, but we want to be willing to be wrong and see beyond those perceptions. We want to be willing to ask for help and say, hey, is there something you're seeing here that I'm not? Because sometimes there's things that we may not be noticing. We're not going to do this activity together because it really doesn't work virtually. But I want to still throw this in here because this is really fun, especially if you teach um, gen ed or high school. This is really fun to do with your class. So you have to say the name of the color that the word is written in. So you don't read the words. You say the color. So like blue, purple, green, green. It's very funny when we do it in person because everyone does really good on the first two rows and then messes up by the third row. So what that activity is based on is, is based on the Stroop effect. And the Stroop effect is related to selective attention, which we all have. We all have this ability to respond to certain stimuli and then ignore others or other stimuli we can't turn off our brains to. Like we, it's hard to turn your brains off in that activity to the written words because we're so used to reading words, right? So you want to make sure that you aren't ignoring certain stimuli in your student's environment or making wrong assumptions. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So you can do a little can't do versus won't do test. So let's talk through what this looks like. And we're going to talk through what this looks like with our example with the students that are struggling transitioning between centers. So step one, take baseline data. So this is business as usual before you do anything new, take some baseline data. So that means the teacher in the second grade classroom is going to ring her bell, start a timer, and then she's going to turn her timer off once everyone has transitioned. She's not going to tell them she's doing this. She's going to do it, right? So she's going to ring the bell. Everyone transitions. By the time the next centers has started, it has taken six minutes. That's how long it took to transition. Long time, right? So step two, offer a high-ticket reinforcer to exceed that baseline. So the next day, let's say this teacher is Miss Johnson. Miss Johnson's going to be like, all right, class, yesterday... I timed you guys, and it took you six minutes to go between centers. If you can do it today in three minutes, we aren't even going to do our next center. We're going to go right to recess. Bonus recess, all right? So then she's going to start the timer, ring the bell, start the timer, and take more data. If the kids hit that, if they're like in three minutes, in two minutes, they're like in 12 seconds, and you're like, holy crap, right? If the score improves, the behavior was likely a won't do, right? Because once the reinforcement was there, they could do it. Now, if their behaviors are kind of at the same, it's still at six minutes, it's five minutes, it's around the same, then we know that, yeah, even when that reinforcer is there, they still don't have the skills yet. So that's like me with that five-minute mile. Doesn't matter what you offered me, I'm still not going to be able to do it. So here's it written out, which is going to be on your slides and will be useful there. So a few examples. Here's with digits correct per minute. So first session is baseline. We're at 10 per minute. When the big ticket reinforcer is offered, we're at 35. We take that re reinforcer away. We're back down around 12.15. We add the reward back. We're back up over 5.40. So we know this is a won't do. When the reinforcer is there, cool. Now can't do. Same thing. Digits per minute, we were at 10. We offered the big ticket item, still at 10. Take the big ticket item away, a white item away, still at 10. And then when we give instruction, we're up to 20. So look at common classroom expectations. List out the skills needed to accomplish that skill. Identify which of the skills the student has and which one he doesn't. Observation is such a powerful skill that we have at our disposal that we don't use enough. I mean, when's the last time you just observed? You just watched your students. I mean, it seems ludicrous, right? We always multitask. But by just watching your kids, your students, you can learn so much about them from reinforcement to can't do, won't do to potential IEP goals, right? There's so much you can learn. So let's um, practice identifying some can't do's or won't do's based on some observation and some knowledge about the student. So we're going to talk about Johnny. Johnny is eight years old. He is in a special ed life skills classroom. Johnny has some verbal skills. He mostly uses one or two word phrases to communicate what he wants. He will engage in social verbal communication, meaning like greetings and talking to friends when prompted. He can complete short, fine motor-based tasks such as puzzles or assembly tasks independently for about three or four minutes. 
After that time, after three or four minutes, he needs more prompts or help to stay on task. He can follow familiar classroom routines pretty much independently, but he struggles with unfamiliar verbal direction. So something that isn't part of his routine. All right, let's look at some examples from Johnny and see what we think. All right, so our first one, don't read all of them. I should have had them come one at a time. Johnny refuses to transition from computer to morning group. So every day, Johnny does his bell ringer, he does a computer activity, and he goes to morning group every day. Today, he refuses to transition from computer to morning group. Based on what we know about Johnny, do we think that's can't do or won't do? What do you think? He can follow familiar classroom routines. Yeah, won't, right? Because we say he typically is okay with familiar classroom routines. All right, speaking of routines, school psychologist comes in and tries to bring Johnny to her office for an assessment. Johnny hides in the play area. What do we think? Can't do or won't do. So the psychologist stopping in sounds like an unfamiliar routine, right? That's not part of his routine. Do we think can't do or won't do when the psychologist comes in to take him for an assessment? Yeah, Courtney, I would think can't, right? He just doesn't have the skills yet for that unfamiliar transition. All right, this middle one, Johnny chooses iPad from the choice menu. His teacher prepares 10 minutes of work. He is unable to complete all of the tasks. So remember back to our last slide, where was Johnny's work endurance at? How many minutes could he do? And now the teacher gives 10 minutes. Do we think this is can't do or won't do? Yeah, likely a can't do, right? Doesn't have the sustained attention or task initiation yet. At recess, Johnny refuses to come inside the from the playground. Can't do or won't do. Coming inside from the pl playground is a familiar transition. That doesn't mean he's gonna always do it, right? Yeah, won't do, great. Last, act, last one, Johnny's teacher brings out a new activity. Johnny does the first three parts and then falls to the ground. Remember what we said about Johnny with new activities. Do we think can't do or won't do here? Yeah, I would think maybe can't do, right? Because it's something new. Great. All right, so when we are approaching can't do, we talked about I having this mindset of can't do versus won't do. We talked about how to move beyond casual assumptions and do some investigation to figure out if the challenging behavior is a can't do and a missing skill or won't do and a missing motivation. When it comes to can't do, we are going to talk about executive functioning skill building. Some can't do's may stem from an academic deficit but a lot of them are gonna stem from an executive functioning deficit. So this is going to give you a lot of runway and a lot of potential options for what to do and can't do situations. Because skills are more than academic abilities. When I say Johnny needs missing skills, I don't mean he needs to learn multiplication necessarily. He may need to improve his emotional control, his organization, his planning his time management. There's so many other things that are skills beyond just academic abilities. Some skills that other kids seem to learn naturally may need to be directly taught to other learners, such as waiting, asking, turn-taking, etc. Targeted skill instruction in these areas can decrease problem behaviors, can increase independence, and can improve academic performance. 
So since most classroom directions are multi-step directions that require planning, problem solving, inferencing, we may see students that struggle with these struggle in multiple areas of their day. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.